Downloads of the show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Hey kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, November 13th, 2018. Yep, November. The days are shorter, the nights are colder, the leaves are falling all over, and guess what? Today is also the two-year anniversary of me doing the Fish Out of Agua show on Radio Free Brooklyn. Yep, you heard that right, two years. Two years ago this week, I had no idea how to put a radio show together. Some of you listening might say, she still doesn't. I don't care, because doing this show makes me feel that I've always been on the edge of something, you know? Do you feel it too? Do you? Like this song, from my well-spent youth.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Stevie Nicks singing, I'm just a few years older than you. <laughs> with Edge of Seventeen from her Belladonna album back in 1981. Yeah, I'll admit it. I was a few years older than 17 in 1981. Not too many. Actually, very few, but a little bit older. But that doesn't mean anything right now because... because we have a lot of show for you today. I didn't even really register that it's my two-year anniversary today. And I kind of wish I had prepared something really special, like bells. <laughs> or whistles. Something like that. <laughs> All right, let's keep things moving right now and continue with the song that this week's guest artist handpicked to open their episode. Wonder. 
Felt the lightning To the sound of thunder, how far off I sat and wondered. Started humming a song from 1962. And it's funny how the night moves when you just don't seem to have as much to lose. Strange how the night moves. Autumn closing in. Shot of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. You just heard Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band with Night Moves from the Night Moves album in 1986. Okay, kids, no more fooling around, because now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. Welcome to Fish Out of Aqua's Guest Artist of the Week. Woohoo! I'm sitting here with a fantastic all around artist. She is a writer, she's a television writer, she does films, she does improv, she does comedy. So it's my pleasure to welcome to Fish Out of Aqua the amazingly incandescent and accomplished Eliza Cosio. Hi, 
thanks for having me. Oh, you are so welcome. I've been wanting to do this for, for a long time, as you know. Oh, yeah. Thank you for yeah. accommodating my schedule. It's all cool. It's all cool. Um, so I asked this of everybody when we begin our chat together. Mm-hmm. How and where did we meet? Because we don't know each other very long. Yeah. Or, or very well at all. Yeah. Well, um, I was, um, I wrote a short film and I was trying to cast it and, um, I didn't want to go through all of the casting loops just because I didn't know really how to do that. And so I asked around in the comedy community if anybody knew, um, an actress, uh, 45 to 60, um, who spoke Spanish and, uh, my friend asked her lady comic Facebook group, I think it was, and, um... And a few people recommended you. Yeah. So that's how um, that's how we met. That's how we met. And we didn't know each other at all. Yeah. I remember meeting you to speak with you at um, in, in Industry, Industry City yeah. in Sunset Park. Yeah. And I was just like, I hit, I hit it off with you right away. Yeah, yeah. I remember we like couldn't find each other right away. And I was like, oh no, I don't want to like make a bad first impression. <laughs> Me either. I know. It was, it was like first date or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we went out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Woohoo. And um, yeah, we hugged it out at the end. And I was in your film, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about later. I don't yeah. want to give it away now. Yeah. But you know what? As much as people want to like dish about social or whatever, you know, connections happen mm-hmm. because I wouldn't have met you otherwise. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So those groups are really good. So right now I'm going to shout out Trish Nelson of the BG Lady Comics New York City group. Thank you for running that group because that's what got me and Eliza together. Yeah, thanks. So you haven't been in New York very long, have you? Um, coming up on seven years, actually. Seven years? Oh, that's yeah. wow. Yeah, it always kind of sneaks, sneaks up on me how what, long I've been here. What time of the year did you arrive in New York? I moved here uh, December 28th, right before New Year's. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. That's a strange time to move. Well, it was Isn't kinda, it? Kinda? Yeah, but it was kind of nice because it was like my college friends, like there was a group of like four of us and we all flew out here for New Year's. So they were here to like celebrate New Year's and move me in. So that was like really... Oh. Sweet. But yeah, now that I think about it, it's kind of, I mean, it is a strange time of the year to be actually moving, right? The week between Christmas and New Year's, but to start the new year in the new place, there's something really freaking cool about that. You know, yeah, it is. It's crazy when I look back on like moving to New York, it was always so like, I didn't really think anything about it. I was just like, this is what has to happen. This is what is going to happen. And so it didn't feel very like, uh... I just wasn't thinking about it a lot as this, like, big move. And were you right out of school when you moved here? I was actually still in school. Really? Yeah. Where were you from? Okay, I'm from a a town outside of Los Angeles, California, a city called Walnut. Um, And then uh, for school, I went to UC Berkeley up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so my uh, last uh, semester of um my senior year i moved out here for an internship and i ended up just staying so oh. i've been here ever since you yeah. overstayed your visa I overstayed. <laughs> yeah. and now you're a new yorker so what was it yeah. like growing up in southern california for you are your parents american or are they from someplace else yeah so my parents were both born here but um they're my grandparents were all born in mexico um so everybody It's a very, like, Southern California, Mexican-American story, I feel like. It's, Mm. it's like, um, we've been there so, like, my family's been there so long that I think growing up, I've certainly felt, like, 
more American than Mexican and it was just always like kind of a pool because it was like and I know you know I'm sure you can relate to this but I always felt like not quite American not quite Mexican uh, kind of just stuck in between uh, these two places. Did you go to Mexico a lot? Did you have family there that you no, visited? No, because again, mostly everybody had already been in California. Oh, okay. Did yeah. you have any relatives there at all? Did, have you ever been? I have that been, yeah. I mean, it, there is some like more distant relatives mm. or just like relatives I never really knew a lot about who are there still, but um, everyone for the most part is out here. No, I can totally relate because most of my family went from Puerto Rico to here. So, mm. like, the only people that are still there are, like, like, like third tertiary exactly. branches or something. Yet, yes, we're related, but I don't know them. Yeah, because exactly. Because the glue that holds any family together, together is usually the matriarch, the grandmothers, because mm. they're the ones that keep in touch with people. So mm. once your grandmothers pass on, if you're... If the next generation, you know, like the mom generation, doesn't have that strong connection, things fade. Yeah. I so know. you're like second, but you're second generation American then. I always get confused on which number it is. Okay. Um, so how does it work? I, I think it works. Okay. So my mom was born there. Yeah. So I'm first so gen. So you're first generation. I'm first gen. Yeah. If your parents were born here, then you're second gen. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So I'm second gen. Yeah. Was Mexican culture a big part of your upbringing? I mean, I feel like it. it was... It was to an extent, but I, I think, like, it, it's just, like, it's hard to say exactly because I feel like growing up, I think it was even more that I was trying to be more American than, mm. than Mexican. I, I remember specifically, like, loving donuts for that reason because my family, we always had pan dulce, mm. which is... Um, uh, sweet bread. Yeah, so we had like pan dulce, and I just remember thinking like, oh, but donuts are more American. I want donuts. Mm. And so I, I think I really was trying to be more American. And my family was, I mean, we didn't, my dad cooked a lot of Mexican food. My mom did sometimes. Um, but I, I felt like we ate a little bit more American food. And um, when I was with my grandparents, it was more connected in that way. Because with my grandparents, I spoke Spanish. So oh. I think a lot of it is also tied to Catholicism. My, you know, well, my grandparents are, you know, we're just Catholic. But religion is always a big thing in Latin culture. In my yeah. family, my dad's family was mostly lapsed Catholic, but my mom's family was very fervently Iglesia Pentecostal. Mm. So you had both of those like traditions and whatever, like run, running through the life. Yeah. But um, did you grow up speaking Spanish bilingually? Yeah. So it was actually my first language. So really, yeah, that's interesting. It is. I really am grateful to my parents for that. They really pushed Spanish when I uh, was growing up. And do you have siblings? I have an older sister. Yeah. So both of you grew up with Spanish first and then English and then English. Wow. Yeah. And of our generation, my family, my sister and I are the only ones who still speak Spanish. Spanish, which is kind of like, I don't want to be the generation to lose the language, you oh, know? Yeah. Um, so your cousins, you have cousins? I have cousins. And they don't speak Spanish they at don't all? Speak, I mean, some, you know, have taken classes, but they weren't raised with it the right. way we were. Um, and so, yeah, I just like... I'm grateful for that. I w but I've lost a lot of the fluency for sure. Because once I started going to school, you know, it was all English and. Um, Unless you're speaking it all the time, I know you don't. You you lose it. I yeah. know. I know because I've struggled with the bilingualness my life too. Because my parents made the conscious decision to speak English to my brother mm -hmm. because 
of their generation, there was such a stigma attached to being brought up in a Spanish-only home and learning English once you get to school. There was right. so much stigma and so much right. racism and so much being the other in the room. They were like, well, our kids are not going to have that. Right. But the flip side of that coin is you can't talk to your grandparents. Yeah, I know. And, I mean, similarly with my grandparents on my mom's side, my grandfather spoke to his kids, you know, my mom and my aunts, in Span in English because he wanted them to learn English. But then with my grandmother, they spoke Spanish. So it was similar to, like, you know, wanting to learn, wanting to learn the American language um, and then also you know, wanting to retain the culture. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's I think, is the struggle that all immigrants have. Yeah. You know, you want to live here and be of here, but you also don't want to forget where you came from. Yeah. Because, yes, that's really important. Like you said, keeping the language with the next generation. You want the kids that are not born yet to know who they are and where they're from. Oh, I know. It stresses me out. I mean, I don't know if I, like, am even going to have kids, but it just... Even with myself, I feel like, and it's, you know, partly my own neurosis, but I feel like just the weight of the language, of losing the language mm. in me, and uh, and my sister is so much better at Spanish than I am, um, but uh, I just feel badly that it's not... That, I, that I'm not fluent anymore. And know? I think that um, your body of work also maybe touches on these subjects a yeah. little bit, right? Yeah, that kind of came later for me, honestly, because oh. like I was saying, uh, like the donut example, I was always like trying to be American and not really thinking a lot about my culture. Um, but now I, I feel like I'm, I'm exploring that a lot more. So when you were a child, did you know that you were different? Did you know that you were an artist? I don't know that I felt like an artist, but I definitely felt like something was off about me <laughs> like are your parents artistic or, or education oriented my mom is a teacher um and my dad was a an engineer um but uh they they were always supportive of whatever I wanted to do they didn't really push me in any direction um but I, I feel like I always was a kid uh, roaming around in her own head trying to figure everything out. So I think that that's where this all, uh, exploring that artistically, like where that stems from. How did you explore that when you were a child? Did you write, draw, paint, make plays with your stuffed animals? I wrote a lot of stories. I wrote <laughs> a lot of, um, little short stories and I remember actually getting in trouble for one of them because I was writing I got really into Cleopatra and I was writing the story about Cleopatra and I was trying to describe the kind of dress that has a chiffon outer layer but then on the inside there's like some sort of slip um but I couldn't figure out how to explain that so I just called it a see-through dress, and I got in trouble by my parents for writing a story about a girl with a see-through dress, um, but I just meant a chiffon dress with a slip underneath it. Right. It's, isn't, it, isn't it interesting how adults will sometimes assign more knowledge than the child has? Like, you weren't looking at about the sexual aspect of a see-through dress. You were right. thinking about, oh, it's a see-through dress. Yeah. And, and, and then your parents are like, no! Right, yeah. <laughs> and then you start thinking, well, why? And then, yeah. yeah oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah right. That's a whole other thing, too. Is <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah. Uh... Well, were you an exhibitionist child? Did you like to run around naked? No. I can I... kind of see that. <laughs> I, you know, I wish I was. <laughs> Maybe I would have become more confident. Um... <laughs> 
So with, when you were a child with your stories, did you engage your sister with you at all? Or was this just like your thing? That's such a good question. Um, my sister is a writer. She, she is a very good writer and she always has been. And, and I think that, I, you know, sometimes I wonder how much that influenced me in being a writer because... Um, how many years older is she than you? She's four years older. Oh, okay. Um, and she used to write stories and read them to me. And um, she would. She was very creative. She would make little like sketches for me. She she was she did that a lot for me. Um, and and I feel like I think about it in like for instance, I grew up playing soccer, and my older sister did as well. And I hated soccer, but it. I always did it and it took me it took me like 22 years of playing soccer to realize I hate this game and I've only ever played it because my sister played it because I wanted to be like my sister and I don't know how much how much writing has to do with that but I, I definitely with comedy like when people ask me like how I got into comedy or you know when I started getting interested in that I as a kid I just you know, my sister and I fought a lot, and she was mad at me a lot, and, but I could make her laugh. Mm. And when I did, that was, like, the best feeling in the world. Like, my sister laughing was the best. So, a comic was born then. A comic was born. Well, you know, I guess all those years playing soccer taught you how to, um, I guess, persevere, for want of a better word. What? Like, I, I guess so. I can't imagine, like, doing something for so long and hating it. Were you good at it? I'm good at it. Yeah. Okay, because I was going to say they would like throw you off the damn team no, if you suck. No, so, I'm good at it. Okay, so you hated it, but you didn't hate it enough to suck at it. Right. Well, <laughs> I mean, I could have been better for sure. Well, you could have been worse and gotten your ass thrown off the team. That's true. Well, I actually did get kicked off my varsity <laughs> team in high school because I <laughs> I stopped going to practices to do um, comedy, to do improv. So no. you were doing improv in high school? Yes. So... When you were in, in grade school, you, you, you were always on some kind of artistic track? Did you, like, take a lot of arts classes all through school? No, not really. I, I only kind of... I knew I wanted to act. That was, like, my first urge, was I wanted to be an actress. Um, so I was doing theater as a kid. Um, and then in high school, I was doing theater and I was going to all the improv shows. Theater through the high school or theater through like a community through program? Through the high school. Oh, yeah. Okay. In, in, in elementary school, it was through a community program. Um, but did your sister do it also or just you? No, that was just me. And your parents encouraged this for you? Um, they were supportive. They were definitely supportive. They weren't, like, making me do, follow any specific path, mm. but whatever. They were I, like, like, okay, she's having fun, we'll just exactly. let her do it. Um, so, yeah, and then in, in high school, I just, I was doing theater, and I just kept going to all the improv shows. I was, like, their number one fan, and then, like, finally, they were like, why don't you try this? And I was like, no way. Um, but then I did, and then that became, like, the wow. best. Improv is just, like... The stepping, it, it's the gateway drug. Improv it's is the gateway, gateway drug, drug to perform to a performance career, I think. Yeah. So you did improv all through high school? Um, I think I started my sophomore year, maybe. And then, uh, was it, it might have been freshman year. So improv and drama. So you were in plays. Did you start writing also at that time? No, I never thought I, for all the short stories I wrote as a kid, I never thought I would be a writer. I feel like... I got into writing 
uh, inadvertently to perform more. So basically, mm. in college, I tried out for my college's improv troupe. I didn't get in. And then we had an online TV station, uh, and we had this spoof news show called The Cal Bear Report, because we were the California oh Golden Bears. Cal Bear. um, shout out to Cal TV. Um, and K-E-O. C-A-L. Oh, C-A-L. Yeah. Um, wow, I keep forgetting that all your college stuff happened in this century. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so cool. Yeah. So where did you go to college? UC Berkeley. Oh, right. You mentioned that in the beginning, right. Up in, up in uh, the Bay in Area. In the Bay Area. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a pretty famous school. Yeah. It's, it's got like a lot of um, subversive history to it. Yeah, yeah. It was a great place to go to school. I'm so grateful I went there and for the people I met at Cal TV that's where I became a writer because I um I submitted to be on camera and to write because I just knew that would make my uh application a little stronger wow um and then I was hired as a writer on our spoof news show and then eventually I uh, became the head writer and the host. So of which show? Of uh, the the Cal Bear Report. Oh, the Cal Bear. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that is cool. So this was a paying gig. No, no, this was a college club. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. This is what we were all just spending our college time doing. So did that like set a little fire on you, saying, "Well, if I could do this here, I can do this for money." Um, do it as a living. Like, what when when you were starting to like get out of school? How did you think you were going to? I was, Support yourself. I was still thinking that I would be playing a long game for performing. So I, wa- I still wasn't thinking about writing, really. I was, um, I knew I wanted to get a production internship at a TV show in New York. So um, that was my plan. And I couldn't really see further than that, steps-wise. I was just like, that's the next thing I'm going to do. I'm going to move to New York, work at this show, and see what happens. And so that's kind of what I did. And it wasn't until I... You know, I got that internship, and I was working at that job that I... And then I started doing comedy out here, and I just... I, I don't know. Writing kind of just came from that. Mm. And uh, Did you end up graduating from UC Berkeley? I did. I was able to get credit for the internship, and then... But you um, were already still living here. Did you go I back? Started, I went back for the ceremony, and then that's it. Wow. I came back. Wow. I know. <laughs> I was like, wow, wow, wow. So, um... Were you so? Where did you uh, start with improv? Did were you a UCB or a Pitt person? I was a UCB person, um, and then and then I was at the Annoyance while they were here in um, Brooklyn, and that was really transformative for me. I think going from UCB to Annoyance, um, and then what is Annoyance? I'm, I don't. Oh, the Annoyance. It's um, it's an experimental comedy. Uh, place from Chicago and they were in uh they were in Brooklyn for maybe two years or so um and it was just I remember getting there and it was just crazier and because UCB I I started to feel very like uh stuck in my head of the formula of how to you know do improv and And how many years had were you um at UCB I think maybe three. Were you on so. a house team? No, never. I never got very far. I was just, I mean, I, I went through the whole, I went up to advanced, but I... Uh, you did the whole program. Yeah. 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 Um, but I got a lot from there, obviously, as well. Um, but at, the annoyance just felt really, like, fun and fresh. 
um, and crazy. And so I feel like I kind of did this loop of like studying at UCB, I learned the formula and the rules, and I, I was a good student of comedy, and then I went to the annoyance, and I like broke all those rules, and I like found the fun in breaking those rules, and then I think I went too far in breaking the rules, you know? How? And then, Oh, just like in my, like when I read the things I wrote or performed at the time, I was like, that's just like anti-comedy. It's not like, I just swung too far from, like I rebelled too far from the formula and the rules. And then I think since then I've kind of found um, the e media. Equilibrium. Yeah, the equilibrium. Yeah. Um, so how were you supporting yourself and make, making a living so you could do your art? My first job in the city was driving an ice cream truck. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. You um, Mr. Softy? No, no. Van Leeuwen ice cream. Oh, um, the fancy ice cream. Fancy ice cream truck. Yeah, because my college job was working in an ice cream shop and I don't, I've always had a weird, I love ice cream and working in an ice cream shop is really fun. Um, and I feel like you don't smell at the end of your shift no. as much as you would from like another Yeah, like any other shop. restaurant. You yeah. Would, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I would pick up the truck in Williamsburg and then drive it across the bridge into, uh, I, I, my main spot was in the meatpacking district. Oh, okay. So, and then what else? Um, and then I ended up getting hired where I was interning. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. Wow. So it happened luckily for me pretty quickly. Um, and I was a production assistant, so, um... Yeah. Gotta love the PAs, man. Yeah. They <laughs> gotta support the PAs. They yeah. just, like, do everything. Yeah. They do everything. Yeah. And when did you start um, doing more with your writing? Like, what made you think that you sh should write a film? Um, well, I guess it, a little bit of it started at... I should mention I was at The Daily Show when I was... Um, that was my internship and my job um, out of college, and... Um, there is a really, uh, anyone can pitch at The Daily Show, so I kind of just started trying to be one of those people who mm. pitched, and... I could only imagine being around all that. That just must be either terrifying or energizing. It was mostly terrifying, <laughs> but then, you know, in time I think it became a little energizing, but yeah, I... I just started trying to pitch, and, like, even just in trying to do that, you learn a lot. Um, so I think it was there, and then I kind of just got into the mix of, like, submitting packets with, um, like, uh, Jenna Friedman, who's an incredible comic, um, was really helpful to me and, like, would pass on packets to me, um, and she was, she was really helpful, um, in giving me notes and being supportive and like I'm really grateful for that um so I just started practicing writing packets and like my first packets were so bad I mean explain really what a packet is because oh, sure. I don't think a lot of people know exactly what goes on behind the scenes of the show you see every day sure. so why don't you talk about like what that life is like a little bit yeah so um a packet is basically a sample of work um, to get a job on a television show and each TV As a writer? Show, as a writer, yes. And so each show has different requirements for the packet. Um, and so, like, a late-night show might have, like, 
something like 10 monologue jokes, um, like three desk ideas, uh, two sketch ideas, something like that, um, or a different kind of late night show might have like three field ideas and one sketch, or it really depends. Okay, so you're just creating a spec show to whatever parameters that show follows, because yeah. they're all slightly different. Yeah, yeah, and I think like really it was such a like good masterclass in writing of you know, some of the some of the writers at The Daily Show were really inspiring to me and very, like, kind. So after The Daily Show, where did you um, start working? Because you, right now you're a, you're a staff writer, right? For yeah. Show. Yeah, so I left The Daily Show, and um, now I'm writing on Wyatt Cenac's Problem Areas. It's cool. a late-night show on HBO. Um, yeah, I'm and I'm really liking it. Is this, like, your second job? Second job in the... Career, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Wow. In the biz, I should say. In the biz, well, in that's fantastic. <laughs> so you've come so far in a really short period of time. What oh, the, thanks. Well, I think so. <laughs> I mean, if you interned on the Daily Show and then you, you know, became a PA there and you basically had a master class in how to do it. Yeah. And then you left, then you and you're doing it for real someplace else. Yeah. I would say that that's. Pretty fucking good. Well, thanks. <laughs> there are people that are like ten years older than you, or twenty years older than you, never even got that far. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so and, yeah, I got it, a lot of it is luck too. I got yeah. really lucky. Well, I say luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So, how did your parents feel about about that? About you becoming a, a writer and a television writer? Did they want something? Did they envision something else for you, or was it like whatever makes Eliza happy? Um, I. I think they were really happy for me. I mean, my dad died before he was able to see me be a writer, but he was supportive of me, like, wanting to be an actress and, like, of, like, being a writer. Like, he was very supportive of that. So I, you know, I'd like to think that he'd be, like, really proud. I think he is. Yeah. <laughs> Both our dads and El Cielo yeah. watching us, right? Yeah. I think we had that conversation. We had that conversation, yeah. So did you continue doing any acting? Yeah. Um, or comedy? I still, like, perform. Um, I still do, like, stand-up or, like, I perform written pieces. I still host my monthly show at Caveat. Um, so I do it in that way, but I kind of have, like, taken, put it in the backseat to writing. Like, I feel like I'm finding a lot of, I I'm feeling better in writing than mm. I am in performing at this point in my career. Now, what led you to write your film La Bruja? Is that your first film? That's my first film. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about sure. that. Sure. Say this with full disclosure, I played a small part in this wonderful film, uh. which <laughs> also showcases... Mexican culture, Latin culture, in such a beautiful way, juxtaposed with just like, you know, being in your 20s and trying to figure shit out. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, Gary Richardson, who's an incredible um, comedian and writer, had made this short film and um, it's called Places Thank You Places. Places Thank You Places? Yes. And... Um, and I watched it, and it was just really inspiring to me that he made something like this, and it was really good, and I was like... What was it about? Um, it's about an actor who gets, uh, gets a gig. I should... I'll leave it there. Yeah, I, I just was inspired, and I was like, oh, maybe I can make a short film. Like, maybe... You know, because when you're... Sometimes when you're writing, you... There are, like, limitations on what you can do 
whether, and not in a bad way, but whether you're writing for someone or for, um, like, a, pitching for a network. Like, they're always going to be, like, like, guidelines to it. And so I felt like I wanted to write something that there were no guidelines. I was just, like, writing what I wanted to write. I mean, I went through a breakup that really affected me in a way that kind of surprised me how much... It affected me, and it made me think of... I feel like I've gone through two big breakups, and it, it made me think of the first one a lot, and and kind of just, like, how I deal with them and how, like, I get so thrown by them. Like, they just kind of take me over in a way that feels like, what is going on? Like, what is really going on? Uh, why is this something that is throwing me so much? What was really going on? Like, I felt like I was unhappy in certain ways, and I feel like that's where the real unhappiness was. I don't think it was the breakup. So I think without giving it away, I think it's a story about, like, how the sadness from a breakup can be a proxy for other things that you're actually sad about. So basically you took your pain and you made art out of it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I see as another component in, in the film is just navigating through your 20s. That's the time of your life is when you really figure shit out and what it means to be an adult. Yeah. And you, and you don't have the background of experience because you don't have it. This is it. This yeah. is how you're getting it. Yeah, and I think something I think about a lot was I had this professor in college who said, um, you know, one basic truth of life is that you'll never be able to go home because home changes. And Interesting. And I think that that's something that at the time I didn't really understand it, and like, but I think now in, in moving to New York and I understand it because... There's no such thing as that home that I once knew of being a kid in L.A., of being a college student, you know, unconcerned by the, the weight of life. Um, that doesn't exist anymore. And so I feel like that movie is also about going home. La and, Bruja. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and how that, what that means. And, you know, for me... In that movie, I really wanted to explore that within my culture. Yeah, no, it's you definitely you definitely have have that lens there. Thank Which, you. Uh, so, where is your writing taking you these days? <laughs> um, I mean, right now, I'm I'm working on a couple pilots that I I want to pitch. Um, I'm working on a couple. Uh, I'm working on one longer form piece um, for uh, an outlet, an internet outlet that I don't think I can say yet. But, um, yeah, and then, uh, I'm still, I'm writing on Wyatt's show, and, um, we, uh, are gonna come back to air in April, so, uh, yeah, that's where... where and you're right totally now. making your living as a writer. I am, And a performer. Yeah. That is yeah. amazing. Thank that you. is, like, the holy grail. And you were doing it at the age of 28! So, <laughs> I'm just, like, so happy to, Oh, that's uh, so nice. Thank for you. For you, and to know you, and um, are you writing fiction now as well? I, I've thought about fiction more so lately, but I don't think I'm quite ready to mm. get there yet. Well, it's that interesting that you said just what you said, because a little pescal, I don't say a little birdie because it's the fish out of agua show. <laughs> a little pescal says that you have something to share with us. Sure. 
Yeah. So what is this from? Is this a, a TV-oriented thing? Is this no. a short story, a poem? This is just a bit that I do, uh, that I've done on a sh- on shows before, um, live shows. Um, it's quick reviews on the last three men I've gone out with. Mm, okay. <laughs> okay. One, Josh from Bumble, or the guy I sexted with before actually having sex with. I was anxious to start dating because I was reeling from a breakup, and I was anxious to have sex because I am a normal human being. I have never sexted before, but as it happens, it is extremely easy since the fact that anyone at all is texting me is already turning me on. I learned that sexting before sex is kind of like reading the book before watching the movie. Because when you're sexting, it's in your head, and it's hot. But when you get to actually having sex, you're just like, who fucking cast Gary Oldman in this? Number two, Josh from Tinder, or the married guy. His profile said, married. If that's a problem, swipe left. I am a sucker for men with specific qualifiers, so I swiped right. I have never fucked someone in an open relationship, but it sounds very modern, and I just moved to Williamsburg. I was only down if this was a consented thing, so I asked him if his partner knew about this. He said, no, but if that's not your thing, I understand. I said, it's not, but thanks for being honest with me. I spent the rest of the day thinking, wow, this dude who is cheating on his wife behind her back really might have character. It reminded me of the time I saw Ivanka Trump post her recipe for cauliflower crust pizza, and I thought to myself, I don't know, maybe she has a good personality. Number three, another Josh from Tinder or the guy who made six figures, six figures and lived alone in a Williamsburg loft but wore a sweater with a titanic rip at the collar and told me I pretty much only eat nuts all day every day and pulled out a bag of cashews out of his backpack. I know what you're thinking. They couldn't have all been named Josh. And yes, I am exaggerating, but at a certain point, they really are all named Josh. I cannot take my eyes away from the gaping hole of missing clock beneath Josh's Adam's apple while I feigned an interest in the caloric breakdown of a cashew. In a lull in conversation, he asked me if the last person I had sex with was hot, and I said yes, and his response was, quote, It's crazy that more women than you think are willing to be paid to perform sexual acts. My jaw dropped, and I laughed because what the fuck was he talking about? He went on to bolster his super cool argument and I interrupted him to ask what his sources were because he was a journalist and I am very smart. He said he, quote, heard it from a friend. I said this was the worst sourcing I had ever heard and as I said it, I felt so very smart. I paid for my glass of wine and his club soda and I left. Woo! Oh my god, did you see me like trying not to laugh? No! <laughs> I was like, oh my god, they can't all be named Josh. <laughs> but they were. I mean, they weren't really. Yeah, Two of but, them were, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were all, this like they Chad. All, they, they, were all, all they were all Joshes. They were all Joshes. Yeah. So what is um, coming up for you um, at the present moment um, with... La Bruja or any other creative projects you have going on you want to talk about? Um, well, we are having a GoFundMe for La Bruja to um, raise some money. Um, so that is kind of going to be ongoing. What's the fundraising for specifically? Um, it's for to cover like looming production costs mm. and um, festival submissions. 
um, marketing, a New York screening. It's GoFundMe.com slash La Bruja, I La think. Bruja! Um, but you could go to my Twitter, the links are there, or my Instagram, the links are okay. there, too. Do you have a website for your stuff? I do, um, ElizaCosio.com. Okay, and, and your handles on Twitter and IG are the same? Uh, no, for Twitter, it's at ElizaCosio, and then for Instagram, it's at Ellie Del Sol. Ellie Del Sol, yeah. Ellie of the Sun. Yeah. And yeah, definitely follow this lady on Twitter, because she is like, what? <laughs> do you have any um performances or readings or any other big projects that you're starting to work on at present not to talk about really okay. <laughs> oh actually i do have my i have my monthly show pulitzer surprises at caveat every month um our next one is um december 6th what is the concept behind pulitzer surprises um so basically and this is true anyone can submit anything uh for consideration for a Pulitzer as long as it comes with a check for $75. So we invite our comedian friends to submit their quote-unquote entry for a Pulitzer and then um, we also interview a real Pulitzer winner to talk about their work and what the audience should look for in a good Pulitzer winner and then at the end of the show we um, we have the audience vote on who gets to be submitted for a Pulitzer. Wow! Yeah, what it's a, a great presence. Show. I have to come and see that. Oh, yeah, it's a really fun wow. show. Yeah, we've been wow. doing it for almost two years now. We did it at Union Hall for a while, and, and we recently moved to Caveat in the Lower East Side. So. Caveat's a great performance space. It's great. It is yeah. really great. So I always ask this, Eliza, um, when we get to the end of our chat together, if there was any word of encouragement or advice that you would want to give to a very young person who wants to be you? Um, I mean, it feels so simple, but like, keep going, don't stop, and there's gonna be a lot of rejection, a lot of rejection. I still face rejection every day. Um, and an, an interesting thing that I think about a lot is, uh, this came from um, a correspondent on The Daily Show of uh, don't have a plan B don't have a plan B. Like, I feel like I, I had that spirit when I first started where I just moved to New York, not knowing how things would work out. And I feel like I benefited from that youthful, uh, blind confidence at the beginning. I think that was helpful. So basically what you're saying is go for it yeah. and don't have a plan B. Yeah. That is friggin' amazing. Don't have a plan. That resonated with this old lady over here. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you so much for um, being on Fish Out of Hawaii, yeah, Eliza. Thank you for having me. Hug on the air. Hug on the air. We always <laughs> end with a hug on the air. Needed you
back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. We've bookended with Stevie Nicks today. This was another one of Eliza's picks. It's called Wild Heart from the Wild Heart album back in 1983. And guess what, kids? That's our show. You have been listening once again to Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. We have a bunch of announcements coming for you next week, so make sure you tune in because we've got a lot of fingers and a lot of light sockets and a lot of pies cooking here at RFB, and we can't wait to tell you all about it. But for now, we're going to close with about a minute of Eliza's last song pick by Bob Dylan, the mortal classic like a Rolling Stone from Highway 61 Revisited in 1965. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we'll see you next week. Say beware, doll, you're bound to fall You thought they were all I'm kidding you 
Scrounging 